You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Better Man Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined, as always, by one of the founding partners of Better Man, Robert Lewis. Robert, how are we doing today? Doing very well. Delighted to be with you. we got a great guest. All right. Have you, um, how many Star Wars movies have you seen? I think I've seen about six of them. Six of them. Do you have a favorite? I think the my favorite's the very first one because it was so stunning to enter that world for the first time. That's good. And here's why we're starting with Star Wars, not just because it's fun and we're guys and we like to talk about Star Wars, but because uh, Star Wars is kind of a theme to, in today's episode uh, with our guests. So why don't you let our listeners know who we have on the podcast today and set up our time. Yes, today we have James Anderson, who is the head of the New Canaan Society, a group that we have just enjoyed a rich partnership with. Uh, They are a group who brings men together to get to know one another, tell their stories to one another, enrich each other's lives, and then further their journey with Jesus. And uh, James is just a tremendous guy, great storyteller. In fact, as our listeners enter in, they're going to quickly see his ability to communicate um, great things about stories. You'll feel like you've been to the movies. <laughs> That's right. Or we're going to ruin a bunch of movies uh, for people. But nonetheless, uh, it's a fascinating conversation. I can't wait for people to listen to this. As we talk about the power of story, I think we're going to find it immensely helpful uh, for all of our lives. So you guys take a listen to this interview, and then Robert and I will come back with a few closing comments. Well, James, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today with us. Good morning. Great to be with you. All right. So why don't you do this? Why don't you start off and just give our listeners a brief overview of the New Canaan Society and uh, maybe how you got involved with it? Yeah. So New Canaan Society is uh, it's a it's an organization that um, really promotes friendship among men. We uh, think of it as young life for business guys. So uh, we also, we have a lot of fun. We like to have cigars. We are known to have a good bottle of wine, um, but it's really about having fun uh, together, fellowship together, kind of in the name of Jesus and faith. And so we're big on Jesus, low on religion. And so it's a fairly unique thing that something I had never seen before when I walked into one of their events in San Francisco in 2012. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is uh, such a unique gathering of men, and I feel like I'm at home. That's good. It almost sounds a little bit like maybe uh, those that went to college, like a little bit of like a fraternity type experience, but with without all the revelry that is known for many fraternities. Is that a fair? Is that a fair uh, uh, comparison? Yeah, it's the fraternity without the fraternity. Yeah, that's kind of exactly it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, no, I mean, we describe it as a fraternal experience. I mean, um, all of that, all of those kind of things, what, you know, the term society or the term fraternal or any of those things, those are words basically meant to just communicate that we're a group of people purposely trying to do something together in the same way. And that's us. Like we are purposely trying to walk through adult life uh, building the friendships when we had when we were younger, but now they're built on things that have more lasting importance and take us on a journey of much bigger things than getting through a baseball season or getting through the eighth grade or whatever uh, the case might have been back then. That's good. I've heard it said uh, years ago, somebody shared with me that the quality of a friendship is determined by the value of the shared object. So whatever it is that you have in common with somebody, how valuable that thing is, is really going to determine the depth and the quality of the friendship. And it sounds like what you're saying is, hey, let's build these friendships primarily around the most valuable thing in the world, obviously, Jesus Christ. 
and uh, and there's unbelievable depth that can come from that. Is that what you guys are experiencing? Yes, um, and it's it's interesting because it's not exactly how most friendships start. You know, um, if you look at friendships that you saw maybe your dad have or things like that growing up, it's interesting that most uh, most men would say that my dad's friends were either. Um, affinity buddies. So they rode motorcycles or they played golf together or whatever. They like to do the same thing, whatever that might be. Or um, they were friends from work, friends from church, or they were the husbands of my mom's friends. Okay. That's how most people would describe their dad's friends. So we come into this idea of any group of men. And I think we're looking for Really, we're asking the question, do I feel at home here? Do, do these people look like me? Is this a place that I would want to be and feel comfortable in? And often that starts with just really simple things. You know, I mean, it's sort of like the little handout at the Chick that Chick-fil-A gives you at the mall. You walk by and they just give you a little bite on a toothpick and, and you think, well, I wasn't hungry, but now that tastes really good. So while we're here, maybe we'll get a sandwich. And so um, it really is, it's just kind of fishing with the lowest uh, common denominator, but really it's this idea of like, does this look like fun to me? Is this a place that would actually make, be fun to be in, uh, to be fun to be around and and to spend time with that would not be hard for me to get up and do? But most friendships start with real simple things about you know, does it look like fun? And are there friends there? That's why guys will stay. And then when they stay, they typically go into a journey that I think is uh, for us about faith and about forgiveness. And those things combined together will lead to freedom, which we also call transformation. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm sure we're going to hear more and more about the stories uh, that happen through NCS and, and even in your own life as we continue on in this conversation. But let's uh, let's go back a little bit more on some of your background and uh, and hear a little bit more of your story. So you have this film and screen screenwriting background. So how does that show up in your work with NCS? Yes, I uh, I studied at Biola. Uh, university and also USC uh, in their film program um, when I was in California living and then worked within the kind of the true Hollywood system. I wasn't interested in making Christian movies. I was interested in making movies. And, um, you know, I, I have such a love for the power of story. And I think for most of us, when we hear a good story, we also share that great love. Uh, the problem is we just often don't hear good enough stories. And um, I, I've often said that I, I use every single part of every job I've ever had uh, since I was 18 um, in this job. Uh, and a big part of it is the storytelling. So uh, we use this um, we use this sort of question, this theme a lot, which is what is your story? And when you ask somebody that, you're not only asking them like, hey, where did you come from? You know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, even like in slang, we'll be like, what's his story? You know, it's kind of like, what's he about? Or what's he been out of shape about? Or, you know, tell us kind of where you came from and why that matters today. And, you know, we use that. And so to me, telling your story is often um, starts with just even being able to understand your story. And 
if you look at all the great stories, kind of, I don't know, take very simple stories like Star Wars. Everyone knows Star Wars. It's a, it's an absolute tried and true. It's a, a Greek archetype journey of a hero. So it follows a very specific formula. And I think it's, it's very funny that you could do that same thing in our lives. And the question is, how soon do you realize that you're that you're on the journey or are you just sort of plodding along doing the chores and hoping to go to the academy next year you know next summer after the harvest is done like luke is in this wash cycle of just doing whatever's in front of him and yet he has a passion in his heart to do something more um and it's true for all of us i think that um you have to start with being able to understand where you are in the story and then be able to be willing to sort of go on the journey because all good stories start in one place and end in a better place. So it starts in a boring place. Uh, the Wizard of Oz, it starts in a black and white world on a farm and then she gets whisked away to this magical place that's all color and crazy and then she is whisked back into that ordinary world that suddenly has uh, parts of that special world with her. And um, same with Luke, like he's just farming in the, in the sand. And then all of a sudden droids and spaceships and bad guys show up and he is suddenly whisked into the Millennium Falcon and learning to use a lightsaber and droids and a princess and, and all these things. And, sometimes the story starts without us knowing. And a lot of times we're not necessarily sure what part we play. But I think if you ask a guy to really think about what is his story, um, oftentimes it will take some real intentional thinking and probably feedback from another guy for him to be able to understand uh, what that story is. I think we've all been in a place you say, oh, would you do your testimony? We'll give you 20 minutes. And like at minute 17, the guy's not even done with co like high school or college. Right. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't, he doesn't know, like, what are the most important things of your story? And I think often when we're in groups with NCS, we'll ask people just about those things. Like, tell us about what's been your experience with church and small groups. Uh, tell us, uh, what's the most significant spiritual experience you've had? What is the most important interaction you ever had with your father, which will be either really good or could be really bad? That's why it's the most important. Um, I love asking questions about where did you see your father's friendships come from? Who were the models of friendships and male relationships for you? And some of these sort of things. And it gives a guy a chance to begin to process a little bit of that story in a bite-sized chunk. And, um, you know, in, in three or four minutes, suddenly a guy could, he, he can be pretty honest and pretty vulnerable. And often we will hear that shared object, Adam, that you talked about come back, which is where suddenly you'll find two guys going, you two, that was your experience too. Your mom was sort of like that wounded bird. And these are the kind of guys that came around and how they treated you. You just described my 
my years of 12 through through 18. Yeah, it's fascinating. Just a common just a, experience. Yeah, yeah, very common experience. And just to be able to, to, you know, connect some dots and see some meaning in it is so powerful in somebody's own life to be able to to experience that. And it's so cool to hear how you guys are helping men connect those dots and see that story. So for you personally, James, was this something that you had this aha moment in film school where you started to see that these stories that have been around for thousands of years, really, there are parallels between these stories that we read and connect with in our own life. Was this something that you came up with on your own or kind of had the aha moment or did another guy come along and help you connect the dots? What's some of your story there with that? Yeah, no, it was just one of the few textbooks they assigned me that I actually did read. And <laughs> so, um, no, I could not get enough of this when I started seeing this. And it was just like that clicking moment where all the cogs suddenly are just spinning and they're turning each other. And I'm realizing, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, it was in that one, too. And in that one, oh, that's a great example of that. And like suddenly I started to see these, um, just the truth in this idea that, you know, there are these points in, in a journey that are sometimes really complex and sometimes they're very simple. Um, so sometimes it's as simple as saying, I, I, I don't think I'm the right guy for that. Like, I, I don't know, that just doesn't seem to interest me or... I've got a mortgage or, um, I don't know. I, I tried that once. It didn't go very well. Could just be one sentence. And it's kind of like you saying it's too big of a journey for me. And it, it was, it's Luke Skywalker saying, um, I can't get involved. I hate the empire, but I, I can't get involved now. I have to go home and I'm supposed to be getting these droids out onto the, out into the field. Right. That's his thing. My practical world overrides any ability I have to see a bigger mission. Okay. Like that's, that's kind of, that's a very um, tried and true archetype in the journey, um, both in great stories and in our stories. And if we think back often, there's a lot of these moments where I'm thinking too much about that. I have to get the droids back out into the field to farm for something in the sand. And it's why I can't stand up for, good versus evil or rescue uh, someone in need or enter a bigger story. And it's interesting because all stories start with some, some place and there's something wrong and they go through a journey of either fixing it or coming to understand it in a way that makes it possible to, to live with that. And um, certainly real life right now has plenty of those kind of issues for all of us in America. <laughs> Um, but I, I do find it really interesting that a lot of men will say, um, uh, it's one of two things. It's very binary either. Well, I don't have that interesting of a story, James. It's, um, I don't know. It's just, you know, I born in a Christian family, met Jesus when I was eight, baptized at 11, went to youth group, went to church, married a Christian girl, and we have two and a half kids. You know, it's like they, they just discount their story so um, easily. And the reality is that story still needs to be told. And there's a blessing in it for someone. And when someone hears the story and says, man, can I tell you just after hearing your story, like my story is very different. And I kind of wish I had your story. And there's what, what I, what I so envy about your story is just that 
you grew up in a, like in a family that gave you room to make decisions, but they taught you how to make those decisions. And I have to say, it seems like you made a lot of the good decisions that I did not. Okay. So that's one guy speaking into another guy's story that he thinks is too simple. Um, and you'll, in that, we kind of suddenly have an ability to be thankful for something. And we see it in a different way than just, this was just the color of the carpet I walked down because that was the family and the house I grew up in and uh, whatever. Um, I think the other side that is also uh, total crap is that I see a lot of men who say, well, my story is just really dark. And I don't think that that's where guys want to go. Um, it's real. It's just unpleasant. I just don't think guys want to hear that. It's like, well, no, those are the best stories, right? Like the ones where we start imprisoned and attacked and surrounded by darkness and in the hole. And then the journey is to find freedom and to find growth and to find change, understanding and life. And the, those are the best stories. I mean, look at the stories in the Bible. I think, you know, God and certainly, you know, Jesus were some of the best storytellers ever. So they, yeah. they value it greatly. And we tend to undercut our stories uh, because they don't fit into a kid's picture book. And I think that's a disservice uh, when, we, when we try to shortcut those things. Yeah. What has your own story shown you? I have, I have the second kind of story. I have a story that, well, mine's a mix, actually. I started as like the simple story, right? So yeah, met Jesus at five, I think baptized at eight, grew up in a great Christian family. I mean, really and truly a great Christian family. I have great parents that love me and told me they love me and all those things. Um, and then I got to college and I wanted to know why people loved me. And I, and I began um, to do what, I, again, I think a lot of men do is that we lean into our performance. What, what can we do? So people loved me because I could do things uh, athletically. And then people uh, began to discover I was smart in certain areas. So if you needed help with math, I was not your guy. But if there was other stuff like especially things around creative things or writing things or, or doing something interesting. Like I, that's where I think people kind of sought me out. And again, so I began to, I began to realize this is a great way to feel good about yourself because it's based on like simple things I can do well and I can highlight those things. Well, that's a great recipe for disaster because then I got into, you know, out of college and into work and into these things. And I began to just make sure that those are the only things I showed were the great things that I knew would make people want to be around me. And I perpetuated the great lie uh, that I believe most men fall victim to, which is that you like to be around me because of what I can do. But if you knew all of me, you would leave. Um, and I think most men believe that about themselves in some way. And even if they never say it, and then, so then we get kind of caught up again in this kind of cycle where we, where we do things like, um, you know, we, we 
spend our energy driving at work because at work is where you get measured and it's where you get kind of your strokes where people say, boy, you kicked the crap out of that sales quota or you um, you did this, which we've been working and we've been trying to land that for three years or you were this, you were this, but that's the place where it's real easy for us to get our uh, performance-based uh, identity. And for me, that was absolutely the case. So I just walked right into uh, building a small empire to James that was going to be, um, it was everything that I wanted. It was, it was, it was going to be creative and it was going to be strong and it was going to be, uh, have a lot of control and comfort, uh, two things I'm especially addicted to, uh, control and comfort. Um, and what I didn't realize is that in the middle of all this, I was just a totally selfish human being, uh, totally self-absorbed and, um, I don't know. I, I had been married to my wife for, I guess, a little over 10 years um, when she's just basically told me there's nothing alive in you. You're a walking dead man. And she said, everyone really likes you, James. You're easy to like, but you're really hard to love because when we love you, it means we have to take all of you and they can have you because you seem to want to be with them anyway. And so um, it was a super hard thing to hear, especially because I opened my mouth to tell her everything that was wrong about what she said. And then I realized I didn't have anything to say. Um, and so, <laughs> we, uh, yeah, it was awful uh, because it was, it was the great measuring of my life, Adam. That, that's really like the, the trick. Like it was the great accounting of my life. And I realized I got everything I wanted and nothing was worth anything. And um, that essentially I was striving for all the wrong things. And um, I was entirely self-absorbed. I was entirely empty. I was driven entirely by the wrong things. And I risked everything and um, really, you know, almost blew up my own life. And so anyway, I was separated from my wife, uh, for six months um, by her doing, which her choosing, which I think is one of the things I, I have the most respect for her about is that she didn't put up with any of my crap and she wasn't charmed by that empire I had built. She was like, I, have, I deserve more than this. And if you don't wanna live here and be with us, then get out and go. And, she did, which I have such respect for for that. At what point in a movie, if we were going to take your life now and, and go back to some of these movies that we've talked about, I mean, this moment, because I think every guy listening right now can identify with that moment. And it may not be the same words, but there's a moment in our life where we kind of realize, okay, this this kingdom I've been building is crumbling or every I got everything that I wanted and it's not satisfying. So at what point in the hero's journey or what point in a coming of age story is that moment that you just told us about with your wife? Yeah, that's the moment, it, you know, in a love story, it's the, it's the boy gets girl, boy loses girl, right? Uh, and it's funny that that same formula translates into everything, right? That the guy looking to get up to make partner and get the big corner off as he does. And then all of a sudden, you know, 
something happens and the world changes. And um, yeah, for me, it, it, for me, it's the moment in Star Wars where they, they run to get Han Solo out and they're trapped and they jump into the garbage chute, which is another great metaphor that to find life, you usually have to go through your trash. Wow, that's good. Um, and it's in there that they they fight kind of the demons that they can't see. Their weapons are not really worth anything. And the best thing they can do is stick together. And um, it's in relationship and friendship and working through the trash that they find their way uh, to life. And that, that was me too. So I started looking through my own trash to figure out how I got there and realized it was a fairly well-worn path that unfortunately I had taken. Absolutely. And there, I, I, I love this parallel now with, with movies that we're all relating to here, because in those moments when somebody is going through the trash or the, the guy loses the girl or the corner office is lost, he gets fired, whatever it is, somebody shows up in the story, right? And, and somebody shows up because the person is not like, okay, now pull yourself up by your bootstraps and figure it out. You go back and connect all the dots to your own life and now don't mess up and let's turn this movie from a, uh, from a tragedy into a comedy or let's turn this into a feel-good end. Let's make this a Disney end. Who shows up typically in the movies uh, when folks are in trash heaps or they've lost everything and how does this play into our story? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean... And again, a lot of this is just an awareness, right? Like this, you could be listening to this and think this is just kind of silly and stupid, but it's a great way to evaluate kind of our lives and realize what did I get when I started the journey from the family I came from, the school I went, the relationship I have, whatever. And then we go into this other journey of life and adulthood. And I think often the question is like, who are the, who are the, the friends, the mentors, um, uh, in archetypes, they call them shapeshifters, which are the, it's kind of like the girl you have a crush on in the movie that you want to save, but then you end up learning a lot from her and she take, you know, it's, it, it, it's not always as cut and dried that some of these people are, they're a little dark and they're a little light, you know, I mean, when we meet Han Solo, it's, um, he's a smuggler and, and you're, and you're kind of thinking, well, well, now he's going to smuggle us and help us get to where we need to go. And he's in trouble. And, you know, it's just, he's everyone that your mom told you not to hang out with. Right. <laughs> so, but um, you always have these people that help us and they're mentors, some of them more formalized than others. Um, but they all come with uh, some aspect of giving us a, a gift or a, a tool or essentially equipping us for the road ahead and the thing to the thing to do. You know, in Wizard of Oz, Dorothy meets a good witch. She meets the bad witches. Uh, she uh, meets all the munchkins. And then she meets her three people who are going to help her along the way. And um, they each represent a virtue that she needs in order to become the person she needs to be. So in this, you know, and it's something like the Star Wars analogy again, Luke suddenly is aware that now he has two droids and they have each a special uh, talent and ability. He understands what darkness looks like and who they're fighting against. He's given a lightsaber and taught this is a thing that, you know, you, you use in the following ways. And then he begins to understand this idea of the force and 
this power and a history and a legacy and just the world suddenly becomes much bigger than him as a farm boy, including the fact that he can, he can pilot, he can do things. And he meets these people, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he meets, you know, Han, Chewie, and all these people along the way that are going to kind of help him. And um, I think if we look back, we all could say, here's some people in my life that gave me something, right? So they gave me a lightsaber of sorts. Someone who either um, really was real intentional in teaching you something, someone who walked on the journey with you and modeled a virtue of, of bravery or of honesty, uh, integrity, or purity, whatever those things might be. Um, and then there are also uh, people that, um, you know, as you kind of look at it, you realize um, that they they were actually just there for a little tiny bit. Like it was just sort of like their car door dinged my car door at the, at the grocery store, but it left a little paint on my car. So sometimes those characters are very small and very glancing, um, but they leave a little piece with us, you know? Um, and I think that's true for everyone. If you, and if you start to look back, you'll realize there are a lot of those people in your life. You say, who are your mentors? And most men, if they're lucky, might have one or two. Um, but a lot of them would be like, I, I just didn't have that. Okay, let's rephrase the question. Who are the people that were around at some of the key decisions in your life? What were those decisions? Where did you look and think, I like how that guy handles that, or I like that man, how he, uh, how he responds, the way he treats people in public. I like the way the things he does as a public speaker. Or I like that he's well-read or I like that he's interesting or I like that he's funny or I like that he's quiet, whatever. Those are all little pieces of things we see in a journey and we decide I want some of that. Those things all influence part of who we are. And if you look back, you'll see there are more of those probably than most of us would say. And then there's also the question of like, who in whose story are you that person and are you are you luke or are you obi-wan in which story and it's uh it's fascinating it really is and so i like what you're saying i mean and and it really is when you start to now we're kind of ruining movies for people right now so they're never going to be able to watch a movie the same way because we're starting to show that there's this formula uh, who is it? The guy that wrote uh, Save the Cat that said there's only 11 movies in the world, right? And and that it's just the same formulas over and over again. I remember that was very discouraging <laughs> to read that. But anyway, so, I mean, essentially what you're saying is, you know, there's there's the heroes and then there's these guides that show up. And it could be one person or it could be multiple people. But in every, every great story, uh, the hero is, uh, I like how Donald Miller says it, if you really look at it, the hero is often the most flawed person in the movie. They're the weakest person in the story, and they need these guides to come and to help them to be able to achieve this this outcome that they want and avoid the disaster that they don't want. And I think that part, I know in my own journey, was so eye-opening to, to start to look at people and go, oh my goodness, I can't figure this out on my own, right? It's not how am I going to fix this, it's who is ultimately the Lord going to bring into my life that is going to help me piece this back together and get me moving in the direction that I want to go. So uh, you see that in all the films. And, you know, as we just talked about there with Star Wars and all the different people that were helping Luke to achieve what he wanted to achieve and helping Dorothy get to see the wizard and 
And, uh, and that's true in our own lives as well. And so who were some of those guides that showed up for you after you have this conversation with your wife? Who were the guides that showed up and helped you start to change this story? Yeah, there were. I have an embarrassment of riches in that area, I will say. Um, you know, I, uh, I would say in that journey, one of the most important piece of advice I got was like, let's, let's get to the real bottom of it and not stop 85% of the way through. Like, let's figure out, um, my phrase was, there's something coming out of me that is a cord and it plugs into a wall somewhere and it has power over my life. And I want to find it and I want to unplug it. And, um, for me, that really meant people who knew me well in multiple settings. And so, you know, the, the first person that I feel like I really relied on in this was my younger brother. So he's just a couple years younger than me. We're extremely close and which is a rare blessing in and of itself. But um, I leaned on him a lot and just, you know, said, this is how I remember our experiences. Do you remember them the same way? And do, how did you handle this versus how I handled it? And we grew up in the same kind of pond. So how did we end up in two different rivers and why, why did I choose to go the way that I did? And you chose to go the way that you did, whatever. Um, I, I really leaned into um, just a couple of friends and they were some of the people who showed up at my door very early and just said, I love you. And I never really expected you to be perfect. So, which was news to me because in my estimation, I had to be perfect for them uh, to love me. And so they exposed all of that. And so I, um, and then I, I had a full blown therapist, man. I, I said, look, something has power over me and I want, I want to end it. And I don't think it's about being more disciplined. I think it's probably about understanding how I got here to start with. And it's a shame that I'm doing it this late in life. Cause I think some of these things I probably should have learned at 18 and for sure by 25 or maybe 30, but I haven't, but I'm here now and I'll just do whatever it takes. So I spent a small fortune on, uh, on counseling, which was worth every penny. Um, but um, those, so I feel like I had my brother as like, the person who had the, sh like we, we came from the same place and we lived by and large in the same experience. Um, and then I had close friends who knew me and knew me personally. They knew me with my wife and my daughters at that point, they knew me professionally. Um, so they kind of knew me across all the spectrums of who, of who was James Anderson and then I, I had a professional voice that <clears throat> I gave, I gave keys to everything and just said, um, whatever it is, it's been in here for a long time. And I obviously haven't talked about it much, but so I'd like to find it and unplug it. That's good. So, um, you know, as we're talking about this hero and the guide and, and we really, we need to figure out, and you, you know, this is something that you say often that you got to figure out which one you are. Are you going to be the hero or are you going to be the guide? So 
What would you say to somebody right now that is resonating with with both parts of the story? They're resonating with being the guide, and and they know that there's some people in their life that they may be able to help, and they're also though resonating with that hero's journey and recognizing, hey, I need some of that as well. So, what would you say to that person? How would you help them figure out uh, what role they're playing right now? Well, I think figuring out what role you're playing is really important. Um, you know, you mentioned Donald Miller and, and his book. We, he and I had a wonderful conversation. We kind of geeked out on this because he understands this now from a communication and marketing standpoint. And um, in that, we're always trying to be the hero, right? Um, and, and he's always saying, like in marketing and in those things, you really are turning always that you are the equipping the Obi-Wan Kenobi and whoever that client is, they are, they are the, the Luke Skywalker. And we just have to help them go on a journey and have the things they need. Um, I think in life, I think especially for men, the answer is that we're probably both. If you don't know that you're on a journey, it's because you're not paying attention. And if you think you're on a journey by yourself, it's because you've made either a very intentional choice, which I would humbly say maybe should be reconsidered. <laughs> uh, that I'm going to do this on my own, and you know I'm the lone mountaineer, um, or you're not paying attention, and there are more men around than you think in your life, and then. You know, the truth is the journey is never just for us, right? Um, I remember in the middle of my journey, I was in, I was actually in Yosemite um, right about this time of year. Uh, it was snowing, and which was an amazing, I'm camping, tent camping in Yosemite over uh, Thanksgiving weekend uh, because. Which by the way, that's my, that would be my trash heap moment in Star Wars for me personally. <laughs> tent camping in the snow in Yosemite in November. I'm out. <laughs> On Thanksgiving <laughs> On weekend Thanksgiving. <laughs> because I had gotten what I wanted, which was apparently to not be responsible for anyone, to just do what was good for James. And I got it. And again, like most things, it wasn't it, it wasn't the, the great prize that I thought it was. Uh, you know, um, I remember going to sleep and knowing where I was going to go hike the next morning and where this was. And that was when I got up in the morning, two feet of snow. Um, first of all, it was very cold. And secondly, I had no idea where anything was because it was like a disorientation of white. Um, God had covered everything in snow. And I feel like it was such a powerful message to me very clearly See, James, I can cover everything and I will make things unrecognizable if you sit with me in a tent, which has a lot of very biblical history. But um, in that process, I began to just sort of write down the things I felt like I needed to deal with. So they were decisions I felt I had regret about. Um thoughts and ideas uh, that seemed brazen or callous, uh, moments that I had embarrassment about, things that made me mad, things that I felt I had done wrong, um, ways I 
how I handle things. A lot of it was about attitudes. It was, there, there was obviously actions, but a lot of it was like, what's been my attitude about forgiveness or about these things. And I started writing them all down and I took them into the Wani hotel and the big, great, great big fireplace. And I, I took a Sharpie and I wrote across it. My grace is sufficient for you, James. Um, and I watered them up, threw them into the fireplace one by one. And I thought, what a great verse that God gave us um, in 2 Corinthians, that my grace is sufficient for you. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my failures and my shortcomings, because when I am weak, he is strong. Well, I love the first part. My grace is sufficient for you, James. The second part sucks, because then you're really saying, therefore, I'll boast all the more about all the things that make him strong and show his power when I'm weak. And that leads us to this idea that um, we talked at the beginning, Adam, about the value of a relationship is the shared is the shared object. And often that shared object is a common story or a common point in a story, right? And so, um, you know, guys do this with golf stuff, you know, like, so you'll see my golf shirt and be like, have you played there? I have. I played, you know, last, oh my gosh, I had such an amazing time there. Like men see little mementos of things and they, and they connect very quickly. We, we went to the same place once, okay? It was four hours for golf. Imagine when we start to actually, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about, and we tell our story, we come into that shared experience, which is a, a golf club of much greater importance, <laughs> which is uh, a process of our story and our faith and uh, our families and things we've realized, etc. Um, but I think often that is a that's the moment of shared experience that brings about the value of beginning of friendships, and it also is um, it's a way that. God uses the power of story to remind us we're not alone. And again, if, if you were to take the, the greatest, simplest, broadest cheat in all of movies and all of storytelling, it's that you are never alone. And um, even when we feel like we're alone, we have the memory of something. We have the people who have invested in us and given us this, they've given us wisdom, but maybe now we understand that wisdom more in the context of this, you know, and it's, it's kind of the, the old tools from the dusty trunk in the basement that come out to become the swords we need to defend ourselves and others on a journey to a new place with new realizations. Um, and Often we're not going to an entirely different place, but we are rarely alone. And um, even if, again, it's just something we're remembering. Well, I do remember my dad told me this, or I had an uncle I was really close to, or the guy I worked with, or I had a friend or a guy in church or whatever. I mean, when we start to be intentional, you look back and you realize, well, there's a lot of characters in this story. And a lot of them, gave me a lift somewhere. They took me to a different place. They were with me while we were going somewhere. Uh, we shared a drink uh, at, a, at a sketchy bar. You know, I mean, all these are just straight out of Star Wars. And if we look at them and kind of say, who are these people? Um, 
but I think we are meant to be, um, in some cases, a, a real journey. Like I said originally about NCS, and one of our great things is once we have kind of felt at home, um, we start digging into faith. Faith often leads to forgiveness of self and others and God, and that leads to um, to freedom, which we call transformation, which is a different person on some level. Okay, and I think that is a heroic journey. And I think God calls us all to a heroic journey. Um, John Eldridge wrote some amazing books using this same story structure about life and that we are called to an epic life as men serving a king. And that nobody signed up to be one of the knights of the round table uh, so they could sit around the round table. They, they went to be the first swords into every battle. And I think what we're talking about here is a heroic journey. I don't think there's any man who is not being called into some point of of heroic journey. I say that not because I'm smart or because I know all these things. I say it because it's what I hear when I ask men to tell me about their story. And often when they share, what they need is another person to say, man, I think you're a good guy. And that's got some really crazy parts to that story. But when I think of you, that's never going to be what I think of. That's never what I'm going to think about when I think about you is the bad stuff you've done. I'm going to think about like this thing. I'm like, that guy is a really cool story. He's in the middle of a journey. And I just know that when his name comes up on my phone, I'd always like to be able to answer. Right? Most of us don't believe that. We think if I told them all the, the the worst parts of my story and they saw my name come up on their phone, they'd be like, oh, boy, I don't know if I have the energy to talk to that guy. That's His story's just dark. And it's like, no, that's not it. It's not what we think about. And we have to exhort each other, not encourage, but exhort, which is a biblical, great biblical term, which means to just sort of give a shove. Like this is the way to go. And if your feet won't move, I can't walk you. I can't carry you. I can't push you down the road, but I will give you a push to make one of your feet step forward to keep from falling. And let me give you that exhortation. And I think we are sometimes the hero. We need friends, allies, mentors, uh, people on the journey, and they're going to give us great tools of wisdom, practical elements, exhortation, whatever those things are. And then we're never on a journey to be on a journey alone. Uh, the, the point of every story is that there's more to it. And we're now coming back into the great community with a story to tell, things we've learned, stronger, wiser, and the world can be a better place. That's the promise of every movie. I love um, that. And now for us, I think we have to tell our story so that other men realize they're not alone. James, one last question for you here. Uh, as we're recording this, the world is in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so someone listening to this episode in a few years, then probably the pandemic's going to be over. Um, and there will be something else in their life that's causing uncertainty. But for right now, the pandemic is causing a lot of uncertainty for men uh, these days right now. So when you see situations like COVID, how does this type of situation fit into our story? How are you helping men with that? Mm. Well, um, there's never a good point in a story where 
someone is just walking along and like the world is falling apart, right? There's someone running by with a gun, chasing a bank robber. There's a tornado over here, a fire, police trucks. And they're just sort of walking along on their phone or their Blackberry, right? Just like, that's never the character in a story you want to be. And so the question is always like, what, what does this force mean? And what does this, um, you know, the pandemic is the force, to be reckoned with for us. And none of us knew how big uh, that would be. But, um, I, you know, I, mean, I think it's really easy to ask the question, but just like, what, what does that mean to me? Or what, what am I supposed to sort of be learning from that? Okay. Um, for me, in the pandemic, uh, in our house, we asked three questions um, over dinner that I think, um, I found to be incredibly useful in a, in a ton of ways. But the first is, what are you missing or mourning? And so I have two daughters that are eighth grade and sixth grade. So life is very social. So they're missing social or a first dance or the father-daughter uh, week-long camp that I was supposed to take my daughter on this last summer that we've been planning for two years. And um, or we're missing the track season or soccer season the things, the rhythms of their life. And so it just gave them a chance to say that and for us to validate, like, yeah, that sucks. Like that, that's really, that's a real thing to be missing. Um, I'm missing worship. I, I miss singing at the top of my lungs so much. I cannot even express it. I miss it so much. And it gave me a chance to tell them that. So we all get to talk. And then second thing, um, I called it, what was a pleasant surprise, COVID? And my daughter said, dad, that should be called the delightful surprise. And I said, okay, what's been a delightful surprise? And these are things that just we would not have ever seen or noticed or um, learned if life had just kept on. Again, go back to the story, Star Wars. These are things I never would have seen, galaxies, people, all the stuff I never would have seen if I hadn't been on a journey that started when something triggered and something triggered in March um, called the coronavirus. And now it's changed all of our worlds. And, but the question is like, what are the pleasant surprises, the delightful surprises, which might be, I've realized we're just too busy as a family, like, or I've realized that you know, these things or these things. And, um, or for us, it was just fun stuff. Like I, I live in a house with two girls. There, there are no Legos in our house. So just before the world shut down, you know, you can, you can hear the drawbridge of life is creaking like, and I'm like, get in, get in. And I'm like, we got to go to target right now. And we're just going to spend hundreds of dollars on stuff to play with. Like, let's go. So we load up, we sprint up the target. We spent hundreds of dollars on Legos and things you could make and tracks with marbles and things that we could just do. And we would never have done that, except that we realized something was coming that was different than the world we lived in. And we needed something. We needed to do something different to survive it. Um, we learned to do layups, that kind of stuff. And then the third question I love to ask them is what do you want to be different from here on? What do you think you never want to go back to? Um, how will this change you? Um, which sometimes is things like one of my daughters saying, I realize I'm, I hang out with a big group of friends, but they're not the ones I miss when we're stuck at home. I miss these four people 
And I think I'm going to reprioritize my time around them. Like, babe, that's a great realization. Um, you know, or it, it can just, it can be that it can be a lot of things where we just realize, um, maybe we just have been focused on things that are not enough or we're not looking around enough. I know for my daughters, uh, we'll never pray the same after COVID. And I think they're aware suddenly that the restaurant we love is now gone because of this. And there were families there. Does that mean that that couple and they had that daughter that was our age that always refilled our sodas. And it's like, yeah, that means they, they're probably looking for work. And that Halloween store that pops up at the end of summer is not a real Halloween store. That's a store that went out of business. And those big green signs means that those are bad things. And it means that there's a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be praying for. And it gives us an awareness that the world we're living in, we're seeing something new that we didn't see when we started the story. I like that. That's so practical and so helpful. I mean, those are just three questions that are so great. I'm sure everybody driving around right now listening is trying to answer those questions uh, themselves. And it's so helpful. And you just gave everybody great dinnertime conversation for their families tonight with that. So uh, that's a great perspective on this this moment in all of our stories on what can we learn from this and, and feeling all the feelings that go with this, both the positive and the negative. I really like that. So James, uh, you know, if somebody's listening today and they want to find out more about New Canaan Society uh, and see if it's in his city, where where would they go? How can they learn more about this? How can they contact or or get in touch with you? Yeah, um, it's easy. So um, we're newcanaansociety.org. Canaan, just like uh, in the book of the in the Bible, and uh, but newcanaansociety.org will take you there, and then very simple. Uh, you can find front page, you can find resources, links, all that stuff. But there's also find a chapter, uh, which just will give you a, a very simple way to determine, is there a chapter by me? How do I get a hold of them? And when do they meet? Great. I love that. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that uh, also in, in the show notes that people can check out there. So James, this was fascinating. I really appreciate your time today. And thanks for hanging out with us here on the Better Man Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me today, guys. All right, Robert, that was a fascinating conversation. So glad we got James here on the Better Man Podcast. So what, uh, from all the stuff that he was talking about, what really hit you? Well, let me say for me, that was a feast. Uh, the only thing I regret, Adam, is you and I didn't have popcorn. <laughs> uh, but James James brings up what I think is the strength of the New Canaan Society, and that's bringing men together to get honest, to tell their stories. We have, we have experienced the exact same thing in Better Man. In fact, when we draw young men together in a Better Man journey, one of the first things we do is take an outside meeting apart from the regular meetings that we have and just get the guys together and let each of them tell their stories to one another. Uh, there's nothing more powerful than men finally getting in touch with the journey that they've been on. And I think James did a great job in helping us see how important that is. So um, it was a real pleasure to have him today. And uh, for our listeners, the power of story for men is central to the journey of becoming a man. That's exactly right. I, the line that he said that is going to really hang out with me, that was such a great insight, so simple, but yet so profound to me, was you are never alone. 
And, uh, you know, and then even relating that back to all the films that we were referencing, that none of those heroes was alone. You know, that, that American myth of the Lone Ranger uh, being out there just doing whatever it is on their own, uh, the Marlboro Man, whatever, whatever that, that icon is that we have here in our culture, it's just not true. The great lie of the enemy and the other great lie of the enemy that James brought up was the one that uh, he said, if I really tell you who I am, you're not going to like me. What a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is so powerful just to be able to connect, connect the dots in your own life. You know, story is a sense making device. It's a way to kind of make sense of your own life and to see it as this hero's journey. It brings meaning to your life now as you get to play the role of guide in other people's lives, which I think you and I would both agree. That's more fun than being the hero. That's right. That's it. Great. Really is. It is a lot more fun to play a guide to others. You want men to discover that they have the power of being a navigator for other men for their journey, and 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 I think that's part of manhood. Yeah. So lots of to dos for people that are listening. I mean, you can uh, answer the three questions that James was James was talking about when it comes to COVID. You can just kind of journal or think back on your own life on where are you on the hero's journey. Who, you know, how are you playing the role of guide? So that lots of really practical things for people to be able to do, and then they can go and learn more uh, about James and New Canaan Society at the link that we have there in the show notes. So, Robert, this was the end of season two. It was a great season. Uh, we had some awesome guests on here, and we really look forward to starting season three here in the beginning of 2021. As always, it was great to be with you today. It was great to be with you, Adam. You've done a great job. And for our listeners, Happy New Year. Hey, everybody. Adam Tarno here. If you like what you heard on the show today, please do us a favor and rate and review the show. That'll help people find us. If you are a church or organization leader interested in bringing the Better Man 11-week event to your community, go to betterman.com for more information. Today's episode was mixed and edited by the team at Sound of a Rose, and you can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. This has been the Better Man Podcast. Have a great day.